This is a podcast from Kingdom People Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more details, please go to www.kingdompeoplechurch.org. So today we're continuing our series called Gagging Jesus, and my subject matter today is what Jesus said about other religions. And uh, he never named any. He never said, uh, you know, you Hindus or you Buddhists or, or anything like that. Uh, what he did have a go at was established religion. The only, that's the only thing he mentioned uh, by name was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But as a result, I'm not going to look today at all the different religions of the world because I, I could actually have charts of truth and error and all that kind of stuff, um, which you can download off the internet at your leisure. Um, but there is one fundamental fact that differs Christianity from all of the world's religions and that is that you can go to the tomb of Muhammad and find his bones. You can go to the tomb of Buddha and find his bones. You can't go to the tombs of the Hindu gods because they're all constructs. They're, uh, they're pictures in many cases of, of uh, demonic beings, of, of fantastic creatures. I have a friend who's a Hindu and his, his family god is something that looks half Elephant. Um, but if, if J.K. Rowling wants to know where to find fantastic beasts, she should pop into any good Hindu home or temple because there's many of them right there. But what you can do is you can go to a tomb in Jerusalem where, in fact, there's a choice of two where they say Jesus may have, have been laid and both of them will be empty. Because he promised that it would be empty, that he would rise again after three days. And uh, it's written in the Bible. It's not like, you know, this is some kind of amazing thing that happened by the by. He actually said, after three days, I will rise again. And people ask, well, wasn't it some kind of uh, disappearing act where the disciples came and stole the body and went and buried it somewhere else? so that people will think he rose again. And, and yet, through years of searching and through questioning, through interrogation, no one has successfully managed to find anybody that would ever confess to knowing anything about the theft of Jesus' body. And one would have to ask the question, why would the, the disciples for 40 or 50 years, up until the time they died, continue to profess the risen Lord Jesus, if they had lied, because they were all tortured, they were beaten, they were hung on crosses, one reputed to even been boiled in oil. Many of them knew that they would be persecuted unto death for proclaiming this message that went contrary to the many of the established religions. We just think that the, the, the Eastern world and the time of Jesus was just this, this place where there were some Jews, that there was some conflict. Maybe Jesus taught something that was a little different to what the Jews taught. But no, the ruling religion of the day was Roman. It was pagan. They had multiple gods, even Paul in Corinth talked about how uh, there were all these statues to gods and even a memorial to the unknown God. So it wasn't like he was just going up and saying, here's a bolt-on to Judaism. It's the fulfillment of everything you've ever believed and been taught. And here it is, his name is Jesus. No, they said, here is a man who defies 
every other God that you know of. Here is a man that defies Jupiter. He defies Mars. He defies all of the Roman gods, even the female ones. And that just reiterates the fact that when the, the, the Jews left Egypt several thousand years before, the 10 plagues went out and attacked every single one of those Egyptian deities that took up or raised themselves up as uh, elevated above the name of Jesus or the name of Jehovah at that stage. So today we want a look at the importance of the claims that Jesus made. He made a, a, a claim that would be seen as, as divisive, as exclusionist, as exclusive, as arrogant even. Now my father, when I was a child, had a saying, uh, he and I would argue, in fact, not even when I was a child, even when I was uh, a young 22-year-old man, which was a while back, um, he, we would argue about religious denominations. My dad was brought up Anglican, became Presbyterian, stuck it out, you, you stuck it out with your denomination, it was, you owed allegiance to the cause, and I said, you know, I really don't think that God cares about denominations. I really don't think he does. I think what he wants is, is for us to be one universal church, all worshipping the same God, all believing the same things, and that's why we hold to various creeds. And yes, there is some diversity in those, and as soon as they take their minds and their focus off the message of Christ and salvation, then we know they're a cult. And that's when we say, thanks for playing, you guys go over there and enjoy yourselves, we'll stay over here where we know we're going to go to heaven. You guys, have a nice day. But my father would say, all roads lead to Rome, son. And uh, that may have been true in a literal sense during the period of the Roman Empire when the Romans constructed roads all over the known conquered world. And if you got on one of those roads and hit in the right direction, you would ultimately end up in Rome because that's what they wanted. They wanted to be able to create a highway through all of their conquered nations that would take them from Rome to that place and back again. It was their supply route. It was the way they sent their military. It was the way they sent their, their uh, important officials who would go and check up on things. So that may have been true of that era, and it may have been true of, of some religious groups, maybe Christian groups, uh, denominations perhaps, but it's certainly not true of religion as a whole. And yet for some reason, the pervading worldview today says that, hey, as long as you've got some kind of belief structure, you know, you're doing great. As long as you kind of, you know, just believe maybe there's, there's you know, there's a, there's a, a you know, a higher power or some kind of essence or, or some kind of oneness. You know, you'll be cool. And that is clearly not true. That feeling is, is certainly uh, pr promoted by people like Oprah Winfrey and Deepak Chopra. And their, their catchphrase is, you must be true to yourself. And that's the essence of truth. You just must be true to yourself. And as long as you feel that you've done what is true to you, you're doing great. And you can be completely sincere about that in your practice and your belief, but you can also be sincerely wrong about that. We also have places in the world that accept the gospel of Christ, can accept that message of salvation. But as long as we can accept it along with something that we grew up with or something that we've believed and held dear our whole lives. Something we, we ride in tandem. And that may be a tradition, some kind of traditional religion perhaps. 
We see it in Zimbabwe where 85% of our population claim to be Christian, yet 65%, perhaps even more, are syncretistic. And syncretism means believing two things, trying to merge them together to become one. We can, we can take a bit of this and we can take a bit of that, and as long as we're going in kind of that direction, perhaps we can get them both to sort of head north. We're doing great. But we observe them in, in parallel almost to the point of idolatry. And that's why people feel compelled to observe certain rituals when they get married or when they have a baby or when someone dies. We feel that there's some kind of compulsion to do this. And if we don't observe those, then we feel like there's some kind of curse that might come upon us or upon our family or upon our descendants for not observing those rituals. Rituals that cannot be found in the Bible, but still hold validity over us because we give them the power. Any kind of curse only has power to the person who believes the curse to be true. So I, I can curse anybody in the front row and they can all go, ah, and that would be the right response. But if one of them says, maybe he's right, that curse now has power over that person. So when people utter a curse, your choice is to accept that curse, make it your own, and let it wreak havoc in your lives, or to reject it and say, I believe in the word of the Most High God, and uh, no curse without cause shall alight. But one of Jesus' most provocative statements that people still find incredibly hard to swallow is in John 14, verse 6, where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. There's three pointer statements right there. Three statements that he are exclusionist, they're exclusive, they can be termed arrogant. But they are followed by another statement which kind of whacks it on the head for us. The ultimate point that no man comes to the Father but by me. Just that first phrase, I am the way, Hits my dad's little ditty right out the park. Not all roads lead to Rome. Only one road leads to Christ. If you've been doing Purple Book, which I hope you've all been doing, you'll know that Matthew 7, 13 and 14 says this. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those that find it are few. Now Jesus could have easily avoided any kind of conflict. He could have come along, he could have said, oh sorry guys, I've offended you, I'm, re I'm really sorry. I must observe political correctness here. I won't say anything that offends you. I I I'll take it all back. I, I didn't really mean it the way it came out. He could have easily done it. And, and I look at people who get arrested in the UK and America for standing on street corners preaching, not because there's freedom of speech protecting them, but because they, get, uh, they offend somebody else. And I say to those other people, pardon the terminology, please just grow some testicles. Just get over it. You know, offenses come and you can't cushion yourself completely. And so Jesus could have avoided the conflict by not saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. While the Romans ruled, there were many gods. They proposed their religion. They kind of tolerated the Jews. 
So if you'd gone against Roman religion, you could have been crucified. Guess what happened? But Luke 12, 51, Jesus is quoted as saying, do you think that I came to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, rather division. Jesus came to, to confront our ideologies head on and say, what you've been thinking is wrong. I don't care how you feel about it. I don't care if you're offended. This is the way. Walk in this way. It's not meant to be an easy way. People say, oh, come to the Christian life. It's, it's wonderful. It's easy. It's not easy. The best thing Jesus said was, my, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. But it didn't say the way was going to be easy. It's a difficult way. It's meant to be a hard way. It's a difficult way to find it. The message is not supposed to be soft and squidgy. It's meant to offend the way we think and the way we live and what we believe. We're meant to get offended. But in the process of being offended, that thing lodges in our brain and we go and process it and we go out of our way to prove what he said to be wrong. And in many cases, in the trying to prove it wrong, we end up proving that it's right. Many Christian writers, C.S. Lewis included, Alistair McGrath, there's quite a number of others, who went out to prove Christianity wrong and ended up being born again and being faithful followers and proclaimers, in fact, even uh, apologists for the Christian faith. And this is what Matthew, uh, Jesus says in Matthew 13, 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant sealing beautiful pearls, who, when he has found one pearl of great price, went out and sold all he had and bought it. And there's a number of parables the same way how a man finds a field and he, he sells everything so he can buy that field because that field has a, a, an important message for his life. And that's what, what Jesus is saying is you've got to forsake all this other nonsense you believe and hang on to the message of the gospel because that is the pearl of great price. And if you sell everything, if you give up everything to find that pearl, to follow that pearl, to get a hold of that pearl, then you know you've got something of value. There are many voices out there this day saying, come this way. Proverbs 7 talks about the way of the harlot. She's enticing. She looks good. She makes herself look pretty. She, she wears things that, uh, that men get attracted by. She even says the right stuff. She even offers herself and says, oh, come on, no one will ever know. It's just between you and me. And here's what she says from verse 21. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattening lip, lips, flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately, he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool goes to the correction of the stocks. Till an arrow struck his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost him his life. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending into the chambers of death. There are many things out there that say, this looks good. This smells good. This 
taste good. And for a moment, you might achieve greatness, you might achieve fame, you might achieve fortune, but what profits a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? So the message of Christ is one that we must hold on to, that we must hold dearly and say, this is a pearl of great price. And all those things that look enticing, that wonderful four-lane highway that goes to wherever it goes, is really attractive. But I know there's a two-lane strip road that's got potholes in that has something at it that I really want, a treasure, a pearl of great price. And it's hard for me to find, and it's hard for me to negotiate with my Nissan March. That's why everyone must get Land Rovers. So there was a stage in the 60s and the 70s when, when it was fashionable for people to define their own belief structure. You could invent a religion. In fact, there were, there were jokes made about it in the late 70s and 80s. And you, know, like you go into a shop and say, well, oh, I, I like that, that bit there, that, that moral thing there. Can I have that one? And I, I like that amoral thing there. Can I have that? And, and can I have that, that excellent philosophy? And, and can I have that, that, that wonderful teaching? Uh, and let's put them all together. And many other things were like a, like a buffet of, of world thought, but not all of it was Christian. Some of it may have been. Some of it may have been Buddhist or Eastern. And there was quite a surge of Eastern religions in the, in the 60s and 70s. And you can thank people like George Harrison and John Lennon for making it fashionable. So we would take what suited us. You could go to church one day. You'd get high on the next. Sleep with a stranger any time. No, you know, no recall, no strings, no repercussions, no obligations, no cost involved. Now, it's not quite marketed the same way today, but the thinking is still prevalent. We can still think that we can, we, can, we can take Christianity and say, but you know, there's this message of grace that says, if I go and sleep with those three different people, God will forgive me. So, so I'm going to adopt that into my worldview that it's okay for me to sleep around or, or do drugs or, or do a lot of alcohol or, or do whatever it is uh, because it's okay. You know, God might say, don't be drunk. He might say, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. He might even say that, you know, one man, one wife. But it's okay. He'll forgive me. So I'm going to adopt that into my outlook. We can go to church. We can do purple book. We can attend prayer meetings. We can beat graves. We can sacrifice to our ancestors. We can kill chickens. All in a normal day's work. Or a normal week. Jesus quite clearly said, I am the way. He is the only way. And that way is found in scripture. If it isn't there, it's probably not his way. If you can't find it in scripture, it's not part of the Christian faith. But if we're doing it out of fear or obligation, one has to wonder whose way it is. Often when we operate out of fear, we're not operating in faith. Matthew twelve thirty says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not scatter with me, sorry, whoever does not gather with me scatters. If we're doing this, because of fear, we're doing it outside of the realms of faith. And we're going contrary to what Jesus taught. 
What about his next statement? I am the truth. Pontius Pilate asked Jesus at his trial, what is truth? And you could tell by his response that he had been fed so many things that were supposed to be truth that he'd become cynical. It was difficult for him to know which one was the right one, which one actually was truth, or which of it was part truth, part cotton wool padding around lies. There's a speaker with Azarayim called John Ngoroji. He's a Kenyan man. And he made the statement a few years ago, a few weeks ago, I saw it on Twitter. If there, <clears throat> if there is no absolute truth, there can be no such thing as false news. This sums up life and truth very quickly. We have people like Donald Trump who, who come out and criticize false news, but don't actually reveal the truth or the true news themselves. We see it here. We drive to work and we'll see three or four or five billboards on the, on the street corners, all of them with the same headlines, all of them the same twist. And if you were to read the stories, you, you know, one would say Farai is a great guy and the other one would say Farai is the enemy of the state. Couldn't possibly get any worse than Farai. And yet, we all know Farai is a dark horse. We all know that, that the one of them is, not, is bigging him up and one of them is tearing him down. And the truth is somewhere in the middle. And we just do that so we can sell newspapers, not because it's truth. There was a time when people would conduct business on the shake of a hand. Now they have to do feasibility studies and due diligence studies and you know, have the guy's life examined and do you know, forensic analysis on all his accounts just because we're not sure if his handshake was true or whether it was something offered in a... In a just, oh, you know, this is, this is courtesy. This is not important. If we do not have an absolute by which truth can be measured, then there's no such thing as truth. Postmodernists, that's the end of our current philosophical era, will tell you that truth is relative. What's true for you may not be true for me, but what's true for me may in turn not be true for you. This presents a problem when deciding whether something is morally right or wrong. In fact, we've, not we, but the society has been teaching intellectuals that, you know, you must figure out truth for yourself. And that they can't understand why they're then being arrested for illegal finance de- deals because they thought truth was relative. But actually, truth is not relative. Truth is absolute. So we're weighing things on uneven scales, and God hates uneven scales. He wants us to know that his scale is the scale of measure, and that his truth is the truth by which we measure all other things that propose to be true by. When we adopt other philosophies into our belief system, we're heading for trouble. All religions offer truths, but only one offers the truth. Each of their leaders went on a quest for truth. The Gautama Buddha spent years trying to figure out the the path to enlightenment. He was looking for truth. And he did all sorts of stuff. He denied himself food. He denied himself sleep. He denied himself water. Eventually, he died of tuberculosis. But his path was a path seeking for truth. He just didn't look the right place. And for many other religious leaders, they're the same thing. If you read some of the stuff that Muhammad wrote about himself, he just said, hey, I'm a nobody. I'm just a seeker looking for truth. And yet, 
people have grabbed his teaching and said, this is truth. When we know that the only truth is Jesus Christ. If those guys had found the message of Christ along the way and adopted it, world religions could look very different today. A man named Alexander Sakharov was a Russian nuclear physicist who helped Russia develop the atomic bomb. And in 1975, was the recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize. He, uh, he went against his own work. And he said this, I used to think the most powerful weapon on earth was the atomic bomb. Now I know that the most powerful weapon on earth is truth. People value truth. People protect truth. But there are times when truth needs to be hidden in order to survive. And Winston Churchill said this, that in wartime, truth is so precious that it should always be attended by a bodyguard of lies. And if anyone wants to protect us or prevent us from knowing the truth, that's the tactic they will use. They will say, yes, the truth is there, but there's all these lies around us that look nicer and that take our focus off the real truth. And this is what Jesus had to say about somebody we all know really well. He said, in John 8:44, "You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He, that's who I'm talking about, was a murderer from the beginning, and truth and sorry, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we've got to know that if the devil wants us to not receive, hear, and understand truth. He will candy coat it. He will pack it in cotton wool. He will web anything around it that looks like truth, but is in fact a lie in order to avoid us, and prevent us from receiving and hearing truth. So if we are prevented from standing for truth, it's because the devil wants it silenced and surrounded by lies. Without truth... A moral framework for our lives is difficult to anchor. Doctors Cloud and Townsend wrote a number of books on boundaries. We all need boundaries. Every one of us needs boundaries. We paint dotted lines down the middle of the road and sometimes solid white lines. So we know that's the boundary that we're supposed to drive one side of. When we play sport, we need to know what the rules are. We need to know when something's a foul or when it's out. Or we need to know what to do when one of those things happens. Imagine a game of soccer without rules. It would be carnage. Guys would be punching each other in the face and kicking each other in the throat. And it would just be nasty. Imagine rugby without rules. Even more fun. Why do we think life is any different? When we're bringing up children, we need to teach them boundaries. They need to know what's good and bad behavior. They need to know that it's wrong to touch a flame or a hot stove. That's wrong to take somebody else's toy. They need to know boundaries or we'll have anarchy in our homes. They become terrorists. And one of the famous preachers in this KPC pulpit rightfully said, we don't negotiate with terrorists. Imagine our lives without rules or boundaries. We see lawlessness around us all the time. And one of the, the first things we do is criticize it. I drive down the road and some guy passes me uh, incorrectly and I go, what is wrong with you, idiot? Don't you know the rules of the road?
We just want everybody to obey by the rules because when everyone plays by the rules, life is so much easier. We want the law observed. And God has given us a book of his law, his boundaries, and we observe them and obey them. And when we do, life goes better. Freedom is not the absence of rules, but the ability to live inside the rules. And the more that our community lives inside those rules, the freer we become. John 8.32 says, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In the 70s, Coca-Cola had a tagline that said, Coke adds life. Everybody wants a little life. I can even sing it, because I watched a lot of TV in the 70s. And how do we propose to have life when all around us is death? For the gate is wide, as we read earlier, and easy is the way that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard to find that leads to life. And those who find it are few. John 17.3 says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. True life, the meaning of life, can only be fully discovered and experienced in knowing Christ. So these claims about truth are often accused of being obscene, arrogant, exclusive, intolerant, divisive, judgmental, reactionary. Yet when we compare them to any other of the world's major religions, they're exactly the same. If you become Islamic, you have to abide by their rules, you have to forsake Christ, you have to follow the teachings of Muhammad, you have to pray facing the right direction, when, the, when you hear the call to prayer. It's the weak religions that say, oh, you know, we can accept you, we can accept that. They have to be all-inclusive just to be noticed, otherwise they die out. Oblivious to the, sorry, but obliviously, regardless of what the world thinks, we follow the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. What? We therefore worship and serve is the true God, the God of truth, whose word is truth, and who himself is true and may be trusted because of the, his covenant of faithfulness. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who is a, a famous Russian author and uh, critic of the Soviet Union, is quoted, by, uh, quoted in his 1970 acceptance of a Nobel Literature Prize, said, one word of truth outweighs the whole world. The one thing we have to realize today is that we all need truth. We need to live in an environment of truth. We need to operate inside truth because then we know that we'll be free. And that truth is only offered through relationship and acceptance of the sacrifice, the birth, the burial, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're approaching Easter. We're approaching a time when we remember that ultimate sacrifice. But the one thing that is certain is that we cannot live comfortably without accepting Christ. C.S. Lewis said this, and I'll close with this. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. If true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. I want to challenge us all today to ask ourselves, if our lives are a life of truth, or have we 
begun to adopt things to keep the peace? Do we go and observe certain rituals and traditions because I'd rather not have the conflict of my family, I'd rather not be an outcast? When people come to Christ from within Islam, they lose everything. Their life becomes worthless in the eyes of the family. They know the cost. They know what it costs. It's a pearl of great price to grab a hold of and accept and follow and live by the truth. Yet many of us choose certain things to keep because, well, that's what we've always done. That's the way I was brought up. I, I can't find it in the Bible, but, but there must be something in it because, because that's what we've been taught all along. I believe today Jesus is asking us to forsake all else and follow him. So Father, I'd like to ask you today that if there's a man or woman or a child here today that does not know the truth and has realized they need to know the person of the truth, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, I pray that today your Holy Spirit would work on their hearts to prick their conscience, to, to move them to acceptance of you. And if you're here today and you know that this message is speaking to you and you know that today is the day you need to accept truth and forsake all else, I'd just love it if you could respond by raising your hand. And if it's you, I'd love to come and pray with you if you're here today. Otherwise, we'll just accept that each one of you is a Christian and has, has forsaken all other religions, traditions, and family backgrounds to follow Christ. So, Father, I pray for everyone here. I thank you that you've spoken to them. We trust that the hand of heaven will follow them. We trust that they will come to a greater knowledge of you through this. In Jesus' name, amen. have been listening to a podcast from Kingdom People Church in Harare. For more details, please go to www.kingdompeoplechurch.org.